welcome to my sixth episode of Crash Course on the Gaza War. For this episode, I interviewed John Landsman on the Labour Party and its relationship to the Israel-Palestine conflict. John is a long-time stalwart of the Labour left who ran both of Jeremy Corbyn's successful leadership campaigns. I've known John personally since 2015 and I have a lot of time and respect for him. As you'll hear though in this conversation, I've disagreed with John on a number of things since the start of the Gaza war. I hope you'll agree we managed those disagreements in a productive way and that you'll learn something from them regardless of the side on which you fall and of course I'm very grateful um, for John to, to giving me the time to, to have these discussions out in the open. Like the last two episodes, the first half of this interview will be available on the free feed. The second half is for Patreon supporters. If you aren't yet one of those, you can sign up for £3 a month at patreon.com forward slash crash course pod. John Landsman, thank you for joining me on Crash Course. Nice to be here. Thank you. Um, we're talking today about Israel and the Labour Party. Um, so I was wondering if I could sort of get you to start by, I suppose, describing your relationship to both of them. What's your relationship to the Labour Party and what's your relationship to Israel? Um, I've been a member of the Labour Party for, well, next month it will be, in, in a couple of months it'll be uh, 50 years. Uh, I'm not planning to leave. Uh, I'm... Uh, I suppose I see this as being a bit of a low point in my enthusiasm uh, for the party uh, in some respects because of where it's, you know, because of its recent drift, uh, well, shift to the to the right. Uh, but uh, it doesn't stop me want wanting a Labour government, uh, you know, in, you know, with Keir Starmer as prime minister because he's the leader of the party and he's going to be the leader of the next election. Uh, and I'm confident that there's going to be lots of debate about policy after the election. And, uh, you know, I propose to stick around to, to, to have my, you know, three penny worth in, in that debate. And when it comes to, to Israel, your, your relationship to, to Israel, you've, you, you've written some things recently which suggest you do sort of have one emotionally or... I've... I've written things over a long period. I, I remember writing a piece for uh, the student newspaper, you know, when I was a, an undergraduate, uh, which was a long time ago, uh, following a trip to uh, Israel. Uh, you know, I'd been to Israel before that. I think that my first trip was uh, in 1973 uh, when I was 16, worked on a kibbutz. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've done an awful lot of reading and studying, you know, in, in, um, well, particularly, um, a his, history masters that I did. Uh, and so, you know, I've, I've had a long interest in, well, Jewish history, I'd say not, not just, uh, Israel, Palestine, but, uh, you know, the Holocaust and, uh, you know, over a, and, and Jewish history over a longer period since the kind of pogroms, uh, you know, history of persecution and, uh, and you know Israel's creation was an important change in the situation of of Jews in the world. And I suppose you know you were very influential in the Labour Party when Jeremy Corbyn was leader, ran his original campaign and his second one, I think, um, and a momentum, of course. Now, when we look at the change between Labour under Keir Starmer and Labour under Jeremy Corbyn, or the change from Jeremy Corbyn to Keir Starmer, there's probably no single issue where the difference is clearer or more profound or more dramatic 
than when it comes to Israel-Palestine. If Jeremy Corbyn were, were leader of the Labour Party, he'd presumably be saying you know, very different things um, about the current Gaza war to, to Keir Starmer. Um, what do you make of that change? Well, I think it's part and parcel of, you know, of, of the general changes that he's made to the party. Um, I think what you're seeing at the moment from Keir Starmer is primarily pre-election messaging rather than policy for a Labour government. Uh, I think where Keir Starmer stands on any area of policy is you know, where he, what he actually thinks is pretty unclear to me and I think pretty unclear to everyone else uh, and won't become clear until he's in government. Uh, and even then, you know, there'll be uh, debate about it uh, and, uh, you know, his views may change from whatever they are now. So his views may change. That's always the the, the issue with, with Keir Starmer. I suppose it, it, if then it's it's about positioning, you know, so I would say he's had a pretty pro-Israel position throughout this this period, sort of saying Israel has a right to defend themselves. Early on, he was very, very resistant to sort of say there should be alien limits on their action to the extent that on in that sort of now infamous LBC interview, he ended up saying, yes, they have a right to deny Gazans of, of food and water, etc., where do you think that's coming from? Do you think that's coming from pressure within the party? Does he see that as electorally useful? I mean, it, it doesn't seem to me that there's a big longing in the red wall to have a leader who 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 has no problem with a siege on, on Gaza. I, I think it comes from uh, his reaction to anti-Semitism in the Labour Party under the, in the Corbyn years. Um, you know, I, although it's not on the surface connected, you know, it shouldn't be closely connected with that. I think that... Uh, you know, he, 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 uh, you know, his, his, in his coming to the leadership and even his preparation and planning for coming to the leadership, I think he was completely determined to, uh, completely change the party's orientation in relation to anti Semitism and in relation to the Jewish community. And I think that actually his position on Israel almost has more to do with the, with the domestic, uh, you know, issue the the, the 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 you know the relationship with the jewish community even though uh you know probably the you know a significant majority of the jewish community will vote conservative you know as as the majority has increasingly in recent years um rather than uh you know about international policy now you know i can't point to kind of very clear evidence but that's you know i th i think he is so focused on messaging you know, and winning the election, that I don't see why this should be any different from anything else. Uh, and that isn't very satisfactory. It doesn't give us, you know, it's why he is so obviously out of step, even with people in the, in the Parliamentary Labour Party who are on the right of the party. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think that is an indication that well, it's an indication that he's out of step with the Labour Party, but I think mean, it's also an indication that, you know, perhaps what he's doing is, is more about positioning than about what he what he actually believes. And I suppose lots of people might be listening at this point and saying, well, this confirms what we were always suspecting, which was, you know, the anti-Semitism crisis or shifting Labour away from the stain of anti-Semitism was a lot to do with Israel. So Keir Starmer now to prove that the Labour Party is no longer anti-Semitic, he has to unconditionally back the bombardment of innocent people in, in Gaza. 
And then people will say, well, that's what this was about all along. How can it possibly be the case that to try and distance yourself from anti-Semitism, one has to give Israel unconditional backing? I mean, it, it doesn't. Uh, do you see how that would confirm the suspicions of, well, of yes, many people but, on the Labour left? But I'm afraid well, that it may confirm the suspicions of many people on the Labour left, but I think many people on the Labour left got it wrong all along. Uh, you know, that isn't primarily what I think anti-Semitism, the, the debate about anti-Semitism is about. I sat on enormous numbers of cases. There was real anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. Uh, I never sat on a case uh, that was, uh, you know, that was not about anti-Semitism. Uh, you know, there may, there may have been uh, comments about Israel or Zionism, but... They were all cases about anti-Semitism. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who participated in the debate around anti-Semitism wasn't you know, motivated by their, their feelings about Israel. I think that was the case, uh, probably on both sides. Uh, uh, but uh, there was a genuine anti-Semitism crisis in the Labour Party. You'd go so far as to say crisis, not just a... Well, it, it, it was a political crisis. I mean, uh, I, it generated a political crisis. I mean, how bad was it? Well, you know, I think racism is bad. You know, I, 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 don't, I think it has to be taken seriously. Um, were there other forms of racism that weren't taken as seriously? Yes, there were, actually. Uh, you, know, there, you know, there is also a problem of Islamophobia in the party, and there has been for, a number of, for many years. So obviously, I didn't sit on any of those disciplinary panels, but for me... I suppose what I found awkward and difficult about the, you know, the political crisis that was anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, and uh, and that I think people were reluctant to discuss, is that lots of it fed itself. So you had some some sort of statements from, say, Ken Livingstone, sort of I think very pointlessly sort of bringing up the relationship of of Zionism and Nazism. You know, I, I just think it was a silly thing to do. But He'd then, been doing it for some time. Yeah, but, but uh, you know, he had a, he had pre previous, and you could say that that was you know that was coming from him. That wasn't about the crisis itself. But for me, so many of the controversies after that were the way people talked about the crisis itself. So people would say, "Oh, we think um, that the Jewish labour movement or X Y Z group is trying to bring down Corbyn," and then that itself would be part of or an example of the anti-semitism crisis so it was people commenting on the crisis as opposed to bringing any you know prior anti-semitic beliefs to the table in in that regard it's actually very like talking about the israel-palestine conflict now it was very polarized people took sides and there was very little space in the middle to have a serious conversation about the gray areas you know, about, you know, what exactly was and wasn't anti-Semitism. And, you know, I, I'm afraid, you know, that, you know, we have that problem now. And, I, and, and you know, my motivation for, uh, you know, writing and, and, and speaking out about uh, the crisis, you know, as a Jew uh, who is on the left, is because I felt that there was an absence of space. You know, people were taking sides. You know, I, I don't take sides in this conflict. Um, I, you know, I support both sides. I support both peoples. I don't. I, I support neither government. Um, I, I want to get on to sort of your position on 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 the Gaza war specifically because you've written some things. You know, some of them I, I somewhat disagree. But I just want to keep stay on this point sort of briefly because I'm interested in this question in terms of the proportion of cases that say came to the NEC. I think there's probably a difference between the cases that came to the NEC. So that's the National Executive Committee of the Labour Party that you sat on, and the, uh, the things which caused a storm in the media. But what proportion do you think it was people talking about the anti-Semitism route in Labour 
in a way that people might have seen as inappropriate or feeding into tropes and what proportion of it was people sort of bringing forward something which could be interpreted as anti-Semitic, which had nothing to do with with the crisis. Do you see what I mean? Do you, do you understand the distinction I'm making here? Well, I, look, the code of conduct that, that you know, I was involved in drawing up, which defined, uh, you know, the, the, you know, what, you know, which was the basis for, for adjudicating on all of those cases, and still is, by the way. It seems to me that that was, you know, that took the right position. It was agreed by Jeremy Corbyn. You know, I mean, it wasn't solely his decision. And what was on that? Can we can we get a summary? Well, I, mean, I, it, I assume it it's talked, quite long. But. It, it's very long. It's, it's you know, several pages. Um, you know, and it, it talks about treating, you know, Israel, you know, differently from other states. Um, I mean, isn't Israel quite different from most other states? Uh well, all states are different. In what way do you would do you characterise as? So different? I would say there's there's something somewhat exceptional about Israel at this current time and has been for a while. So for one, it is overseeing the longest running occupation in the world right now. So there is no longer running a legal occupation than the occupation that, that Israel has over the West Bank and, and Gaza. And I suppose f- for me. Um, you know, we can have a one-state, two-state argument. I, you know, I'm I'm fairly agnostic about these things. But given how Israel is behaving in the West Bank, I think everyone can be able to, can agree that that part of the Israeli project is settler colonialism, which is currently taking place. And obviously, there are other settler colonial states. You know, the United States, Australia, but they all did it in the past. You know, the, the famous thing which is said about Israel, I think, from from Tony Jutt, is to say, you know, it's a 19th century or an 18th century project which they've tried to do in the 20th century. And I think that is why people see it as somewhat exceptional. Okay. Well, I mean, you've said a number of things now that I disagree with. So let's talk about settled colonialism. Now, I think in order to, to address the question of whether you can characterise Israel as a settled colonial state, I think you have to distinguish between uh, the settlements and you know Israel's existence of uh, you know, the settlements, which are relatively recent. I mean... Decades old since the seventies. I mean, that's that very long. Okay, you know, well, that, for, that's for, for a consistent breaking of international law, that's a very long time. Which, which I, I suppose that's another thing that's exceptional about it, which is people really understand what's going on because it's been a constant. I think the settlers, the settlements really took off. I think in the eighties, mm-hmm. um, well, from know, the seventies, and then maybe well, took off in the eighties. Uh, you know, the, Begin came to the prime ministership. You know, I, you know, I, the settlements I, I see as having been. Uh, the creations of the creation of the far right, in you know, of the of the revisionist Zionists, of of Begin and Shamir. Well, they People, continued under the Labour prime ministers, didn't they? So they, they were sort of the well, project of true. the right, and they, they continued they, under the. That's true, but the philo- you know, the the Greater Israel philosophy was a revisionist Zionist philosophy. You have to, in my view, if you want to understand the situation, the history, you know, the, and the history of this conflict, you have to see, in my opinion. A distinction between, la- you know, socialist and labour Zionism, you know, that led uh, Israeli governments, well, led led the the pre-state uh, Jewish community in in in, in the Mandate of Palestine, uh, and the labour governments that then led it uh, through the seventies, you know, up, up to through the seventies, but very little since, uh, you know, apart from. Uh, you know the the government that, that out of which came you know the camp, camp David, um, and 
you know, that, the revisionist Zionists were always in favour of a greater Israel. A greater Israel, by the way, which didn't even stop at the river. You know, it crossed the river. You know, they, they claimed Transjordan too. Uh, so as historic Israel. Um, and uh, and actually, you've now got a government, uh, Netanyahu's government, that has people which are actually worse than traditional revisionist Zionists. You know, they are uh, Kahanists, uh, you know, you know, who are, uh, you know, unlike Begin and Shamir, who were, you know, they may have been religious up to a point, but they were not theocratic. Uh, you know, they weren't theocrats. They 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 accepted as it comes, you know, a secular uh, a secular state. Um, but you know, the the you know Ben Gavir uh, and the Jewish Power Party are Kahanists. You know, they you know they are deep racists, murderous racists. Uh, you know, they are quite you know they are they are a dig you new. Know, a degree worse than Begin and Shamir, and and you know, so I I think treating Zionism as if it's a kind of single movement just uh, you know obscures. Well, I think there's two issues. So the, the, I don't talk about Zionism so much, but I do think that Israel as a as a country, as a government, and you know across governments, in fact, the fact that they have been overseeing the longest running occupation on the planet, right? It seems to me not so surprising that lots of people are, are very engaged. Well, where did the and occupation passionate? start? By just a matter of interest. Nineteen sixty-seven. Sixty-seven. Okay, so you're not talking about the period between forty-eight and sixty-seven, but actually the period between forty-eight and sixty-seven was also a period of conflict. I mean, you know, and and I think you have to go back to forty-eight and even pre-forty-eight to understand that that's where the roots of the of the conflict lie. You know, this is at the heart of. Uh, you know your your claim that Israel itself is a settler colonial state, which I dispute. Well, well, I'm uh, saying some. The reason I dispute it is, you know, Israel was created not because of uh, you know the history of Zionism starting with Theodore Herzl and continuing through the the Balfour Declaration ending up. In, in 1948, but because of the Holocaust, because there were large numbers of Holocaust survivors who sat in camps, including in Germany, for years with nowhere to go, because the doors of all the world were closed to them, apart from, you know, they, they were also closed, of course, by the British Mandate Authority in Palestine. Um, and you know, eventually, by a narrow majority, uh, largely because of the support of Stalin, actually, rather than the US, because the US State Department was opposed to the creation of, of, uh, of the Israeli state. Um, okay, presidents might have been in favour, but the, the State Department fought against it. The Labour government in, in Britain fought against it, even though the Labour Party conference and the left of the Labour Party was completely in favour of it. Um, and, and the reason it was established with the, with the support of Stalin, with because of Stalin's support, um, was uh, because of the need to provide refuge for Holocaust survivors, and every wave of immigration, the vast majority of of Jewish immigrants to Israel, have been refugees. Now that is not the mark of a settler colonial state. Now I'm not saying that you know there that Herzl, Herzl's philosophy, which I think is almost relevant to act to the real historical process that led to the creation of Israel, as opposed to the the myth, the myth, you know, the 
Israeli mythology about the creation of Israel. Um, you know, the reality is that you know the 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 the, the, the allies in the in the Second World War felt guilty enough. To, to, to find the need to 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 to, you know, to open some doors them and the and that's why partition happened. Yep. So I, I know there's an enormous debate about whether or not Israel from the river to the sea is a settler colonial state, and you know, great scholars like Rashid Khalidi will say it is. Um, that's not necessarily a debate I I want to get into because in a way I I feel like it's it's unnecessary to the discussion of whether you know what makes. Israel such a impassioned subject for people on the left. I don't really think is is what happened since 1948. I think it's what happened since 1967, which is everyone agrees, everyone agrees that they are breaking international law and they are practicing settler colonialism in the West Bank, right? Well, which is they are trying to take over land by expelling people who are in uh, a territory which Israel has no right to put its people in. Well, I, look, I, 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 I am opposed to the occupation. Of course, you know, the occupation is illegal. Uh, you know, I agree with that. I agree that the illegal settlements are, uh, you know, are, are well, they're, they're illegal under international law. I do. But I think, uh, you know, that, that the, the, the occupation in, in you know, the, the conflict started much earlier. It's, you know, the war so we, started... But, but what, what, what's well, the point in telling us that? Because it sounds to me that, that potentially you're saying the, the occupation is the result of, you know, Israel needed to occupy the West Bank because there had been conflicts before 1967. There have been repeated wars. That, that you know, so, so, so you know, the, 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 the end of one war lays the foundations of the next war. And... Uh, you know, so, you, so you think that, it's, that you know, Israel's is potentially Israel, well, occupying the West the Bank U, for security when the, when reasons? The, that when the UN partitioned Palestine, you know, the, what happened? I mean, if if they'd have both accepted the partition, if both sides had accepted, you can see the why partition, they wouldn't have accepted. So. I can see why they wouldn't accept it, but the fact, but the fact is that it wasn't just fought by by the by the Arab. Palestinian population of 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 Palestine it was fought by you know either that war of independence started with the invasion of every surrounding Ab uh, Arab state you know because Lebanon Iraq Syria Jordan etc Transjordan uh, and you know, and and the and each war has led to the next war so i mean you can see why so in 1948 i think it's morally complicated for me, you know, what should have happened? I can see your argument it that is there were. I, agree. I can see your argument that there were people who who needed a home. Um, there were Western powers that, frankly, didn't want to let in that many Jewish refugees, so they colluded didn't, to, didn't to create. Didn't want to let in any. Yeah, so they colluded to create Israel. Now, if you were a Palestinian in that period of time, you'd say, "Well, you know, I feel very sorry for the Jews, but why are they taking our land? Why can't they go somewhere else?" And uh, the reason I'm saying this is not to get into a big debate about 1948. This is why I want to bring us on to 1967, because I think the period from 1948 to 1967, there's people I respect greatly who, who see all of this as settler colonialism and all of this as a moral aberration. Um, but I, in a, in a way, as I say, I'm somewhat agnostic about this. But I think from 1967 onwards, there is no ambiguity. So there, there is a, a state which isn't really, I mean, it hasn't been for a very, very long time under any existential threat. I mean, it's the strongest army in the region. It has the full backing of the United States. Yet it has chosen to um, occupy another people, make their lives miserable 
precisely because it wants to expand its land mass. It wants to expand the land which it has access to. And so to me, any war which happened before 1967 is almost irrelevant to that. The project is one of settler colonialism in the West Bank. I mean, as I say, many people will argue the whole project from the river to the sea is, but I'm only here arguing that the project in the West Bank is explicitly 100% settler colonialism. And and that's why um, people get more annoyed about Israel than they do about many other countries in the okay, world. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Um, I know you're, you're supposed to be asking the questions, but if you're making that claim, why is it that the left in Britain and in the US and in many other countries didn't see that it that way in the 1967 war or in the 1973 in the Yom Kippur war? You know, and, you know, when I joined, when I became active in the Labour Party at national level in, you know, when I left in, in 1980, right, I was involved in running Tony Benn's campaign. Tony Benn was a member of Labour Friends of Israel. Um, but I mean, this is- the, the left at the time were overwhelmingly pro-Israel. Why was it pro-Israel? Well, well, I mean, this is precisely my point. So my point is to say, well, one, I mean, people can say the Labour the Labour Party and the Labour left backed all sorts of things, which maybe they shouldn't have backed. But that's not the argument okay, I want to make not here. Just the, that's not not the just the Labour Party, okay. the Communist Party right. backed Israel. The argument I want to make here is different, though, right? Which is the shift from, you know, being sympathetic to Israel, or as I say, seeing it as a, a, a morally difficult issue, a morally difficult problem, to now seeing it as, you know, just 100%, this government is 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 bad and we need to put shed loads of pressure on it to change sort of seeing it in 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 line with with south africa to some degree apartheid south africa is because for decades now in the west bank specifically in the west bank i mean gaza is under siege as well so i, I think that's abhorrent and uh, and terrible but i think the moral issues are so clear in the west bank and they have been you know, you're saying, why Why did they have these views in 1967 and 1973? Well, a shed load of time has passed. It and has, people have had yes. 50 years to see Israeli politics change and to see how there are a people who've been denied statehood for for decades. And and so to say, why did they, why why were the left warmer to Israel in, in 1967 than they were now? Because Israel has massively changed. It has massively changed, I agree. Um, and, uh, and, 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 one of the changes that it's gone through is that the left is almost the Israeli left has almost died, not completely, but almost. You know, and, and uh, you know, the 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 right wing governments have become increasingly right wing, and uh, but I, you know, I but think that is Israel. So I suppose another issue here. So a position I sometimes see from, I suppose from a position like yourself, is to say what we need to do is we need to get rid of the leaders on both sides. I mean, you've explicitly said as such in a Guardian article, right? So you, you sort of said lions led by by donkeys. Yeah. And the idea is if only we could get rid of these extremists on both sides, then, you know, societies could agree to come together and make peace. And the reason I see that as, let's say, um, not not a great assessment of the situation. Well, I don't. Is, th- I, do, I think that's a that's a wrong characterization of, of my view. Okay, I, go you on. Know, well, what, how, how would you ju- characterize well, it? Because it needs support from outside as well. It, you know, you need. I mean, you know, the, the, there is no longer a big constituency for peace on on either side actually within Israel. Well, here I is mean, where pa- here is know, where I struggle a bit on the on the either side because for me there is one side which has virtually all the power in this situation right so so israel has been able to reject peace because it can have land without peace and uh, even if we are to get to something like a two-state solution as i say i'm agnostic on the one state two-state question if we are to get to a two-state solution 
what I think we need is the the international isolation of Israel, sanctions on Israel, boycotting of Israel to say you can no longer get away with the flagrant contravention of international law by expanding your settlements in the West Bank. You are going to have to withdraw your settlements. You can do what you want within the 1967 borders. But what you are doing is, you know, rogue. You know, this has features of a rogue state and it's perfectly reasonable for people on the left or otherwise to say as such. I, I'm 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 certainly not against uh, boycotts. I you know I don't buy settlement products. Uh, you know I they should be boycotted. I, what about, I, I am in favour of a boycott of settlement goods. What um, about a boycott of all? Because for me, you, you have to hit the whole economy, right? It's it's not just the case that they're going to say, oh, okay, well, we'll withdraw the settlements because it's difficult to have. Um, you know, a, 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 a profit-making business on in the settlements. What you need to say is your whole society cannot get away with the flagrant breaking of international law. Just as say with just to say with Russia, we don't just put sanctions on on the you, Russian you companies the which are going of into boycotts. I accept the principle of boycotts. I think there is a more detailed bit of discussion to be had about what you boycott. Um, I think that's that discussion is of lesser importance actually than the lack of a pre peace process and a lack of of the you know of the insistence by you know other powerful states in the world uh, and the UN on forcing uh, the two sides to uh, you know come to a negotiating table. And I, I blame you know the US and you know other world powers as much as I, suppose, I think this is where we I think this is where we disagree though because I, I don't think it's just about getting them to the table. I for, for me the fundamental issue is that one side has all the power. So to have a situation whereby you can get to some kind of acceptable peace, you need both sides to have significant bargaining chips. The Palestinians do not have many bargaining chips at the moment. Well, I, I, I accept that one side has 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 all, all you know pretty much all the power. Um, I absolutely do. But uh, you know, actually, you know, there are uh, people on both sides who are dying in the conflict. Unfortunately, there are far more Palestinians dying as well. I accept that. But you know, the conf this particular round of the conflict started with. You know the biggest, biggest massacre. Uh, what do you see as the? What do you see as the? Well, the, start the of nature. This... No, but what do you see as the the root cause of the October seventh massacre? I, I I don't know enough about the motivations of of, um, of of you know the thinking of Hamas to be able to give you a you know a really deep considered answer. But certainly, it it it, it what it what it demonstrates is a a total lack of regard for human life you know to to slaughter you know clearly innocent people women children uh you know to rape them you know whatever else occurred uh you know that is you know no one can defend that action it was a, it was appalling and you know, more died on that day than did in the, in the, you know, more Israelis died on that day than did in, in the 67 war or, you know, many wars since, actually. I, I haven't looked in detail at all the numbers, but it was a very major loss of life. I want to go to a quote that you, you, you did an interview with The Guardian recently, and I suppose this quote somewhat surprised me, actually. So you said, 
Um, I want a ceasefire as soon as possible, but my view is that a ceasefire without a clear purpose will not change the tide of the war and could just end up making it go on for longer. As it happens, I have some sympathy for Keir Starmer's conclusion that calling for a ceasefire now is wrong. A ceasefire now could merely sustain Hamas as a continuing threat. Um, now, I assume, you know, this must have been at least a couple of weeks ago. It's obviously before the current ceasefire was was brought into being. But, I mean, do, do you want to expand on that? Why why did you take that position? Because, I, th- you know, what we need is a peace process above all. Uh, and to, to get a peace process, you have to bring both sides to the table. Uh, and that requires diplomacy. Uh, you know, and... You know, obviously, the first stages of that diplomacy are, uh, you know, some kind of ceasefire. But actually, you know, whether it is a short ceasefire or a permanent ceasefire, you know, I, I, I think is, you know, the debate between a pause and a ceasefire, I think, rapidly became an entirely semantic uh, debate. I mean, what we've seen in the last uh, you know, short period is that you know an initial very short pause has turned into a longer uh, ceasefire, and you know, and the longer we can make it last, the better, because you know, as it goes on, people can see advantages to carry it on further. You know, so so you know, what what's necessary is diplomacy. So I suppose I don't see it as a semantic debate, and uh, uh, the reason is this. So for me, a ceasefire is essentially saying, look, Israel's aims in this war are illegitimate. You know, you, you can't you can't blockade a people. Um, essentially, Netanyahu, you know, supported the strengthening of Hamas. You can't deny a people an opportunity for a state. Then um, that sort of terrible situation brings to being uh, an organization which, yeah, commits some war crimes and then says, okay, well, we're going to bomb them to smithereens, right? For me, what the world has to do is is say, look, both sides here, I think we can talk about both of them as, as you know, rogue actors. You know, the Israeli government is a rogue actor. Hamas, I think we can call a rogue actor. Absolutely. But to do that. anything other than call for a ceasefire is to say, okay, they're both rogue actors, but what we're going to do is we're going to allow one of those rogue actors to keep bombing the other, killing women and children in hospitals, etc., until they can destroy the other rogue actor. Now, and you know, the human cost is going to be enormous at the same time. Now, what I think should be done is all the pressure in the world should be put on Israel. And I do think it's, it's Israel that needs more pressuring because they're the ones with all the power to say, you can't do, you can't continue with this bombing. One, you're not going to be able to take out Hamas. Two, the fact that Hamas exists is because of the policies you've had for the past 30 years. So you can't have your cake and eat it. Say, oh, sorry, yeah, we've created this extremist group. So now we're going to bomb to smithereens the, the, the whole bit of land that we wanted. And also, the people carrying out these bombings aren't bombing so they can get to a peace process. They're bombing because they want a greater Israel. So I don't see how we can possibly justify saying, okay, these are right-wing extremists. Everything they do is for a greater Israel. They've been saying as much. We want to create a humanitarian crisis in Gaza so that they all have to leave. And then still say, but we should keep letting them do what they're doing. I mean, how does that make sense? Well, I I, I think the problem is, you, you, you I mean, it, the conflict is indeed between two bad faith parties. Uh, but we have to get to a point where we have two partners for peace. But how does the continued bombing by one partner help bring that about? I'm not in favour of continued bombing. Well, if you're opposed to a ceasefire, I mean, that's... I didn't say I was opposed to a ceasefire. I I wasn't going to call for a ceasefire. That is 
is different. Um, what I what I was trying to do was to create a space in which people can talk about how you actually move this conflict into uh, a position where you can begin to talk about peace. Because there hasn't been a peace process for decades. And, you know, neither, you know, we, we neither side, I mean, you know, the leaders or the, or the effective leaders of both sides, because I think, you know, what is the role of the, of the, of the Palestine administration? Almost nothing. Um, you know, Hamas is effectively leading uh, the Palestinian cause. Not well, not in the interests of, of Gazans, not in the interests of Palestinians in the West Bank, who are also being attacked by the far right, uh, you, know, you know, some of whom are wearing military, Israeli military uniforms. At this point, we are going to take a break on the free feed. This will be the end of the podcast. If you are a Patreon supporter, um, we're going to have another half and we've got lots to cover. We're going to discuss um, the Jewish labor movement. John has recently joined and we're going to get his thoughts on that. Um, And we are going to discuss the phrase from the river to the sea. Um, which has, of course, caused some controversy. And I know that myself and John have some disagreements on that as well. Probably Jeremy Corbyn will come up a bit more as well. Um, So if you aren't yet a supporter, you can go to patreon.com forward slash crash course pod. Crash Course is produced and edited by Lewis Bassett and Patrick Herdman. Patrick Herdman does the sound design.